Turn your Bible, please, to Romans, the 11th chapter. Romans chapter 11. Thank you so much, Miss Carol, for that song that touched all of our hearts. May we bow together in a moment of prayer. Our Father, we thank Thee for what we have already experienced tonight in seeing these follow their Lord in baptism, hearing these great songs, and having the opportunity to share some of what You have given us with some others who are in need. And now may the Word of God become alive and quick and sharp, and may the Holy Spirit use it to pierce hearts and to draw people to Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 11. As we come to this chapter tonight, we come to it under the title, Israel, the grafted-in olive tree, the fullness of the Gentiles, and your eternal destiny. All of this, part of God's magnanimous plan, as outlined in Romans chapter 11. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Know ye not what the scripture saith of Elijah, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed the prophets, dug down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then is it no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David saith, Let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see, and bow down their back always. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Meganoito, God forbid. But rather, through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. Now if the fall be to them, if the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy them who are my flesh, and might save some of them, for if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off. 
and thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spare not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them who fell severity. But toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. Otherwise, thou also shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and wert grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, who are the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I would not, brethren, that ye would be ignorant of the mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness, in part, is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, There shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall return away godliness from Jacob, ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as touching the election, they are beloved for your father's sake. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet now have obtained mercy through their unbelief. Even so, have these also now not believed that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. A simple outline of this chapter would be verses 1 to 10. Israel's rejection is not complete. Verses 11 through 26. Israel's rejection is partial with an end and view of restoration. In verses 26 to 32, the assurance that just as God dealt with Israel, so God deals with the world. And we need to mind what is our eternal destiny. So first of all tonight, we want to think of Israel and her origin. The preservation of the Jews through the centuries is the miracle of his story. I want us to see tonight Israel's history as the seed of Abraham, spoken of in Romans 4, as a family under Jacob, spoken of in Genesis 49, as a nation under Moses in Exodus 12 to 14, as a kingdom under Saul, as outlined in 1 Samuel 10, as captives under Shalmaneser, when in 722, The Assyrian hordes led the ten northern tribes into captivity and oblivion never to be known from or heard of again. As captives under Nebuchadnezzar, according to 2 Kings 24, when Babylon was permitted to be an arm of judgment by God and marched into Judah and burned the walls of the city of Jerusalem and sacked the temple and tore it down and led into captivity for 70 years, God's chosen people. Let's see them for a moment as a restored remnant under Cyrus, according to Ezra chapter 2. As a nation dispersed under Titus in the New Testament world, 
when they had rejected the Messiah, had said no to the King of kings and Lord of lords, had said to Pontius Pilate, let his blood be on us and on our children. Not quite 40 years after the crucifixion of Christ, Titus from Rome marched into Jerusalem and once more sacked the city and burned the walls and tore the temple down and led the Jews away into Dispersia. There was a little band that went down to Masada and there they held out against the Romans for full two years. And when it seemed that the battle was going against them, every one of them died at his own sword rather than to be taken captive. Such is the spirit of the Jews. But I want us to think also tonight as a nation of the Jews regathered according to Isaiah chapter 11 verse 12 and as a nation renewed and raised from the dead according to Ezekiel 37 and as a nation full of the blessings of God as spoken of in Ezekiel the last part of the chapters of that great book. So the Jews are God's time clock. No nation has ever prospered that persecuted the Jews. Hitler tried it. And Hitler's gone, but the Jews are still here. And though Eichmann killed six million Jewish people, Eichmann is dead and the Jews live on. And though through the ages they have tried to be exterminated, people have hunted them down and persecuted them, and anti-Semitism has been across the nations of the earth, God has always seen to it that that nation who cursed the Jew was cursed and that nation who blessed the Jew was blessed one of the answers to the great blessings of America is the way America has treated Jews oh I know there are jokes about them and I know there's some anti-semitism and I know there's some people that don't like Jews and they call them by all kinds of names but American government has been friendly to the Jews and with our help and England's help the Israeli nation was begun again in May of 1948 after an absence of national statehood for over 2,000 years, a modern miracle. But I want to tell you something. This is no surprise. God said that was going to happen. And when God says a thing in his book, it's going to be, regardless of what we think about it, regardless of how much we try to exterminate them and, and put them down, when God says a thing, it will come to pass, for the word of God is unbound and unbroken. And God said, if you bless the nation of the Jews and the people of the Jews, I'll bless you. If you curse them, I'll curse you. God said it. The Bible tells us in many, many places that he was going to regather the Jews. Listen to a few of these. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 3, that then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee and will return and gather thee from all the nations where the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. In Isaiah chapter 11, and it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to restore the remnant of his people who shall be left from Assyria and Egypt and Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the coastlands of the sea. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. 
in Jeremiah chapter 16 verse 15 but the Lord liveth who brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands where he had driven them and I will bring them again into their land that I gave unto their fathers and in the book of Amos chapter 9 verses 11 to 15 in that day I will raise the tabernacle of David that is fallen and close up the breaches of it and I will raise up his ruins and I will build it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations which are called by thy name saith the Lord who doeth this behold the days come saith the Lord that the plowman shall overtake the reaper the reaper of grapes him that soweth seed and the mountains shall drop sweet vine and all the hills shall melt and I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them and they shall plant vineyards and drink their wine they shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them and I will plant them upon the land and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land which I have given them saith the Lord thy God and in Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 20 and this time will I bring again even the time that I gather you for I will make you a name and a praise among all the peoples of the earth when I turn back your captivity before your eyes saith the Lord and in Zechariah chapter 10 verse 10 and I will bring again thee out of the land of Egypt and gather them out of Assyria and I will bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon and place shall not be found for them now this is just a few of the collection of scriptures we could give tonight to say God said he was going to bless the Jew and the Jew would once again be in the homeland of Israel and God gave that land of Palestine to the Israelis and it will be theirs and regardless if the Arabs try to push them out to the sea God's hand will be against the Arabs now, this is not to say that God is against the Arabs if you go to Israel today and you cross over in the years before when the Mandelbaum Gate was there and in Jer Jerusalem was a divided city much like Berlin and you would cross the Mandelbaum Gate and go into Jordanian is Jerusalem you would find the people much more loving much more approachable for the Arabs are a people with a heart more like the people of America the Jews are shrewd the Jews are business people they know what they want and they're after it but God said he would bless the Arabs and make them a great nation through Ishmael but God also would bless Israel and make him a great nation through Isaac and so both of these people from the same roots of Abraham have been given that same land but Israel has been given the homeland along the Mediterranean Sea coast and God says he will see that they have it now what are we to say about the Jewish unbelief the point of question in Romans chapter 11 is the question hath God cast away his people the strongest Greek negative is used meganoito God forbid God has not cast away his people God still has a purpose and one day Israel will have their eyes open and the scripture says all Israel will be saved now keep in mind that doesn't mean that every Jew will be saved individually but it means that the Israel of faith will come to know the Lord Jesus and one day when Christ comes the second time they will recognize him and they will own him as Prince of Peace and King of Kings and Lord of Lords but what about the Gentiles beginning in verse 17 
if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, wert grafted in among them, and with them partakers of the root and fatness of the olive, boast not against the branches. Now the picture is that Israel is the olive tree of God. And God said, I'm going to bless it. I'm going to bless the nation Israel. But when Jesus came, Israel was blind. God seems to have given them hardness of ears and hardness of eyes, and they could not see and they could not hear, and they did not recognize their Messiah. When you read the gospel narratives, your righteous indignation rails against the Jews to think that this nation who had long expected their Messiah, they had cried out, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. All of those wonderful promises. And to think, when Jesus came, they spat on him. They planted a crown of thorns upon him. They said to Pilate, Release Barabbas, crucify Jesus. Pilate said, He's the king of the Jews. Shall I crucify your king? They said, We have no king but Caesar. Crucify him. And our righteous indignation boils. But when we get to Pauline epistles, we begin to understand a little bit more. Because Paul says, Blindness happened to the Jews so that the Gentiles might hear the glorious gospel. And in this passage, the Scripture speaks of Israel as the olive tree, the family of God among the nations. And here are the barbarians, the pagans, the Celts, the Anglos and the Saxons, and all the ethnos and the nations of the earth, barbarous, pagan, God says, I'm going to send my gospel to them. And you and I are the descendants of those. And God said, when I send my gospel to them, they will have openness of ears and eyes. And they will become, though a wild tree, a wild branch, I will graft them into the family of God. And they together will be part of my family. And this is a mystery the Jew and the Gentile growing together in the church of the Lord from the time of Pentecost to the rapture. This is the mysterion, the mystery that was hidden from all the ages past and is revealed to us through the Apostle Paul. And God says that you and I are that grafted in olive tree, but note, we're not to boast. Boast not against, thy, against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then that the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off. And thou standest by faith, be not high-minded, but fear. The message here is that the gospel of Christ has been turned to the Gentiles of the world. America, England, France. Germany, Africa, Japan, Taiwan, China, all the ethnos. But if the ethnos will not believe, they're not to think that they're God's favored people in some special way and that God's long-suffering patience will endure forever. Because just as God 
closed the door with the Jews when they rejected and in unbelief. God said, I'll do the same thing with the Gentiles because there's coming a day when the time of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. And this leads us to the third point in this message tonight, the fullness of the Gentiles. Verses 25 to 27. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of the mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness is part to, in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Now what does this expression mean, the fullness of the Gentiles? What does that mean? Number one, the, fullness, the expression of the fullness of the Gentiles is different from the expression of the time of the Gentiles. This expression perhaps is akin to Luke 21, 44. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations and Jerusalem shall be trodden down by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. What does this mean? Number one, it refers to the salvation of the Gentiles, but one day the last Gentile will put his faith in Jesus. It may be here tonight. It may be that the body of Christ will be composed here tonight, and before we leave, the body will be complete. The last Gentile will walk down the aisle to confess Jesus as his Savior, and the fullness of the Gentiles has come. Secondly, it means that Israel's blindness has happened that the Gentiles may come to the light. Thirdly, the Gentile monarchy began with Judah's servitude under Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C. Fourthly, the Gentile age with all of its warring activity will one day cease. Fifth, the Gentile world rule will cease and be destroyed when Christ comes the second time, according to Revelation 11:15. But what is this thought about the time of the Gentiles? Again, we go back to Luke 21, verse 24. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. What does this mean? Many Bible students believe this means the time from Nebuchadnezzar's deportation of David's dynasty to the defeat of Antichrist at Armageddon, during which time the Gentiles have ruled the Jews. But there's coming a day when that will not be true any longer. And then the term, the fullness of the Gentiles. This is repeated in Acts 15, 14, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12. The gathering of the body of Christ both Jew and Gentile, saved from Pentecost to the rapture. But there's coming a day when the times of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. The Gentiles who have trodden down that holy city and that nation of Israel, it'll all be over. This is part of God's plan of the ages. If you want to know where we are prophetically in the Bible, keep your eyes on the Jews. Be sure to watch the Middle East. While Satan would try to get our eyes on Korea and on Southeast Asia and on the Panama and on all the other crisis spots, do not neglect to watch the Middle East. That's where the action is. 
And in the days ahead of us, in the exciting year of 1977 and 78 and 79, if the Lord tarries, we're going to see some great things occurring there. God said that there's coming a time when all the nations of the earth would gather together around Jerusalem to battle. Before that time comes, there will be a federation of ten nations under a director, a king, a president. That federation of ten nations will be a ruling dynasty, so to speak. America, as far as we can tell in the scripture, is not mentioned in this. But the ten nations, perhaps, is it just coincidental that already the common market of Europe has nine members and any day a tenth nation may join? And when this confederacy goes down, and Russia comes down, and China comes over, and all the nations of the earth are gathered around Jerusalem to battle. Preacher, where'd you get that? Zechariah 14. And over and over again in the scripture, all the nations of the earth will gather themselves together to battle against Jerusalem. And then Christ will come. And he will put an end to all the battles of earth. In my opinion, this will happen during the tribulation. It happens after the saved are taken away. Does this mean that the saved will not see any of the dark tribulation period? I don't know. I think we may be on the precipice of it now. We may be on the brink of it now. Have you ever driven toward a storm? How could you tell when you got right in the eye of the storm or whether you were on the verge of the storm? One day I was driving from here to Lexington and they had announced there would be storm warnings. And I got to Elizabethtown, and the winds were blowing, and it was dark. And when I got to Elizabethtown, the whole heavens just dropped out, and I thought, this is a terrible storm, an awful rainstorm. The water stood about an inch on the ground, and I decided to drive on. But the further I got, the higher that water got. And the further I got on the road, the darker, and the, the, the more the storms, and the rains, and the thunders, and the lightnings, until I just pulled over at the side of the road, and I decided, I don't know whether I'm at the verge of the storm or in the center of it, but wherever I am, I'm just going to stop and wait till the storm passes by. I think it'll be like that as we approach the tribulation. I believe the scripture teaches that the saints will be caught out before that awful dark, dark, tribulation period when the world is ruled by Antichrist. But how do we know when that storm is at its density? How do we know when that tribulation period begins? Ladies and gentlemen, we're approaching it now, and the dark days are going to get darker, they're not going to get brighter. There will be a man of peace come along and whisper peace, peace to everybody, and many will follow and the world church and the ecumenical movement will all get together and there will be one great big hodgepodge of everybody and in the Lord's church there will be some who will say let's get in that that seems good and if we don't get in it well we'll look like we're sort of
And so within the given Lord's church, there will be some who will say, let's get in it, and others with discernment will say, we cannot get in it. And as we approach that day, the storm will get denser and darker, and the days of persecution will increase. And I don't think that we ought to sit around here and decide, well, I can just uh, do anything I want and live any old way I want to because I know the Lord's going to come and he'll take me out before the awful time of suffering begins. I wouldn't be surprised if you and I have to live through some suffering. I wouldn't be surprised if you and I will go through some days of severe persecution. It's happening in other parts of the world today. In Russia, there are men who want a kind of freedom in their worship, a kind of service that they'll not have to be afraid spies are watching and listening to what they preach, and so they refuse to register their church with the Russian government, and they're constantly in danger of being arrested and taken over to Siberia. In China, Watchman Nee, my beloved hero, I love him. Watchman Nee led a great movement of Christians in pre-communist China. And you know how the communists took over? In 1949, when they came, for about a year, the churches had unusual liberty, freedom, and they could preach. And then the minister of education and religion in the Chinese government, the communist government, they began to form cells, not just in the churches, but cells all over the city and all over all the cities. And these were sort of like sensitivity sessions. And the idea was you were to get, or get, get together with some of the people and be as honest as you could with each other. If you didn't like somebody, you just tell them all the things you don't like about them. If you don't like somebody else, you tell everybody what you think about such and such a person. And so there was an attempt made to look into everybody's life. And the problem was there were communist spies in every cell group. And some of the people didn't like Watchman Nee. I don't know any church or any given group where there's some people who don't like the preacher. And so they were critical of him. And pretty soon, Watchman Nee was arrested, not as a communist spy, not as a spy for the West. He was arrested and accused of being the kind of man that could not lead the Christian movement. And when Watchman Nee demanded an open hearing, they had recorded all the accusations of Christians against their minister. This didn't only happen with Watchman Nee. It happened in segments of the church all across China. And when the people woke up to what was happening, they went to the government and they said, we didn't mean to say that. We didn't mean, oh, we, we, we don't know what we were doing. Watchman Nee was not a wicked man. He was not a mean man. He's a godly man. And they said, it's too late. You've already said what you said. And so they arrested the leaders of the Christian movement and took them off to prison. For 20 years, Watchman Nee was imprisoned in communist China. 
And what happened to the flock? With all the leaders gone, pretty soon they all spread and they were gone. And that's how communism took over the churches and finally closed the churches of China. Where you and I for years and years sent missionaries, no longer can we do it. We in America are not exempt from that and we may not be very far from it. We need to have our eyes open. We need to realize that we're in the day just preceding a dark day. And whether the saints go through part of the tribulation or all of the tribulation or none of the tribulation, we need to be ready to suffer for what we believe and what we hold true. That's the reason when I keep our people, and I love you, when I keep you a little bit past 12 in the morning and a little bit past 8.30 at night or 9 at night, I don't go home and get a sick headache and think, well, I wonder if they're going to kick me out because I did that. You know what I believe? I believe God wants us to learn to be Christians, not Christianettes. I believe God wants us to learn to love being together in God's house. And if you don't love it, brother, go somewhere where they have a little twilight service and they get over in about 10 minutes. You know what they do in some of those churches in Russia? Each service lasts two and a half hours. Each one, they have three a day in, on Sunday. Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night. It's the only day they can meet. And then they're, they're watched. Most of them have to meet, many of the unregistered churches have to meet behind closed doors or down in barns or under trees or somewhere. But the ones that are registered, they, they too can only meet on Sunday. And they meet three times a day on Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Sunday night. And the place is packed because the people are hungry to hear the Word of God. I believe we need to get young people ready to suffer for Jesus' sake. I don't have much use for the sissified kind of mamby-pamby kind of Christi, Christianity that pussyfoots around and, and, you know, just gets a little dibble of some kind of a ooey-gooey, syrupy kind of thing that'll taste good like a sugar stick or give you a little aspirin to help your headache. I believe God wants men to be men and women to be women and for God's sake, men quit trying to look like women. Women try, quit trying to look like men. Be a woman, be a man, and stand, take a stand for the Lord in days like these. Take a firm stand and don't be afraid to suffer for your faith. The last part of this lesson, this chapter, deals with eternal destiny. Beginning in verse 28, is concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but it's touching the election they are beloved for the Father's sake, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. For as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now not believed, that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief. And look at verse 22. Behold the severity, the goodness and the severity of God on them who fell severity, but toward thee goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt also be cut off. What's he saying here? Paul is writing to the Romans, those Roman people over there in the city of Rome. He's given them a lesson of the, about the Jews. He's speaking nationally, not individually. There's no record of, this is not individually. He's talking about nationally. And he's talking about how God favored the Jewish nation nationally until they came, until they nationally rejected the light. 
Then God turned to the nations of the Gentiles. And tonight, the light is going to the nations of the Gentiles. But one day it's going to all be over. And now he gets on an individual basis and he talks about the severity and the goodness of God. The goodness of God leads men to repentance. But oh, look at the severity. If you're here tonight, the very fact that you're here is evidence that God has his hand on you because God brought you here. You wouldn't even be here if it weren't for God. You wouldn't be interested in things like this. Why, you'd be out at some picture show or some wild party or go to sleep or watching television or somewhere. Why are you here? God brought you here because there's a, a something in your soul that, that seeks the Lord, that quests after God. God put that there. And he who has begun that good work is able to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If so be, you will permit, by the grace of God, your life to be changed by his love. I want you to see Jesus tonight, the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the earth, he who knew no sin, becoming sin for us. Paul puts it this way, all the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, and his ways past finding out, for who hath now known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things to him. Be glory forever. Amen. In a moment, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper. Now listen. Jesus died on that cross. He who knew no sin took my sins, all of mine, and your sins. And he died for us. That we, through his poverty, might be made wealthy. That we might be heirs of God through Christ for all eternity. What are you going to do with it? Are you like the Jews going to say, release Barabbas, crucify Jesus. This way of Jesus is too hard, too difficult, too much demands. Why, he wants to change my life and change my lifestyle and change everything about me. That's too tough. I want the world's way. And so you walk down the world's way and listen, you know what's in the world's way? Cursing, profanity, drunkenness, abortion, premarital sex, and all of the things that the world can give. It's all there. And if you want it, you can have it. It's yours for the taking. It's right there. But I wonder if there's some young man, some young woman, some boy or some girl, somebody who would come tonight and say, I want to be God's somebody. I want to be somebody that the Lord can trust in this world that is so crazed and mixed up. You see, Paul was writing to a world in his day that was so filled with all the wicked imaginations and sins of life, all kinds. Three times in chapter 1, God said, "I, God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. What did he give them up to? That doesn't mean they can't ever be saved again. It simply means... They were going on down that way and God tried to put a roadblock in their way and they said, get out of the way, God, I'm going to do it anyway. So God said, all right. And he stood aside and let them go on. God gave them up to that way. God gave them up to that way. God gave them up to that way. And finally, the third time, it says God gave them over to reprobate mind, which means they lost the ability to discern between right and wrong unless that ability was restored through Christ. And he can restore it tonight in your life. He can change 
your mind and your heart and your direction. Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Our Father, we thank Thee for the precious Savior, the Lord Jesus. He shed His blood willingly on the cross that we might not have to spend an eternity in loneliness, in separation from all that satisfies, in the awful degradations of sin. But we thank Thee that Christ Jesus has opened the way and made it clear. Lord, help somebody here tonight who has never been saved to come to Christ. We pray that those who are saved will say, Lord, here's my life. Take and use it for your glory. In Jesus' name we ask it, amen. May we stand, please. We're going to sing just Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed it white as snow. As we sing that hymn of devotion, hymn of commitment, consecration, hymn of gratitude and thanksgiving and invitation. I want to ask, if you're here tonight and you're not saved, you've never received Jesus as your Savior, don't go on another moment. Don't go on another night. Don't leave this place and turn and go out into the night lost, but come to Christ, the broken-hearted Savior. He'll receive you. He'll forgive you. Behold the goodness of God. Behold the severity of God. To those who receive him, God gives life, life abundant, peace, joy. He gives you a quality of life that enables you to enjoy this life here and to have life with him forever. But the severity of God to those who go out the door for the last time, to those who say, I prefer the darkness, I prefer my own way, my own life. God says, all right, okay, if that's what you want. And God stands back, for he never violates a human will. And he gives you up to go on. I don't believe God's given you up yet. Won't you turn to him right now, openly? Just say, here's my life, Lord, I want to give it to you. I believe there's a Christian young man or woman here tonight that may be in danger of God giving you up. What does that mean? Mean I could spend eternity in hell? Not if you're saved, but it means you live hell on earth all your life. And God won't violate that. He's not going to knock you down and drag you out. He gently meekly, quietly speaks to your heart. Will you let him have his way with you? Or if there's somebody here tonight who'd say, I want Jesus to use me, to have me, have his way with my life. Either to trust him as your savior, move your church membership here and become part of this church fellowship, or to come and offer your life to him on the altar of service. Or a rededication just before we take the supper of the Lord. Who will come? God help you to do it as we sing.